Thank you for listening to this free audiobook created by Project Gutenberg and Microsoft AI. To learn more about the project or give feedback on the quality of a recording, please visit aka.ms/audiobook. Wayside Weeds by William Hodgson Ellis. There is a heaven. It is where scholars read and thinkers brood. It is where scholars read and thinkers brood. Four crowns and halos volumes in a row. Crowns and halos. For angels' wings it has its gown and hood. Gown and hood. In that seraphic choir see Ellis sit. With that Ellisian light his numbers glow. The scholar's seriousness, the scholar's wit. Twin spirits in alternate ebb and flow. Twin spirits. Studious and silent he has read life's page. Scholar and chemist he sees part and whole. He sees part and whole. Teaching and thought let loose his noble rage. Noble rage. And stir the genial current of his soul. Stir the genial current. His golden rod absorbs our meaner staves. Golden rod. As Aaron's rod the rods of Pharaoh. Or as New Brunswick's river name outbraves. The pious Jordan of Ontario. Pious Jordan. His may blossoms relieve our strenuous may. Strenuous may. Our evening smoke curls bluer as we read. The earliest pipe of half-awakened day. Draws a new fragrance from his choice of weed. His artless puffballs have a tale to tell. His flora opens treasures new and old. His wayside weeds have been our asphodel. Wayside weeds. His dandelions become our harmless gold. Weed, page 37. Weed, page 43. Fringing the dusty road with harmless gold. Some elucidations of the introduction by the editors. 1. Amidst the fairest flowers. Of the blessed isles, Elysium's blooming bowers. Greek inscription on a marble at Rome. Neves, Greek Anthology Eden. 1874, page 62. Blooming. Vulgarism, meaning weedy. 2. 3. 4. 8. Omicron beta lambda alpha sigma tau. 10. Pi omicron lambda pi alpha pi lambda omicron. Pi omicron lambda pi theta. 11 to 12. Lambda Sigma Beta Omicron Nu Tau Alpha. Lambda Lambda Sigma Sigma Omega Beta Omega Nu. 13. Weed Page 31. 16. 17 to 20. Lambda Epsilon Nu Lambda Epsilon Omicron. 23 to 24. Pi Alpha Nu Theta O Kappa Delta Epsilon. Pi Alpha Nu Theta Iota Sigma Mu. J M J J M. Contents. Page. Little White Crow. Little white crow. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the lilies of the field. The skunk cabbage. The skunk cabbage. The wanderer's song. The wanderer's song. The cow dung fly. The cow dung fly. The song of the bass. The song of the bass. Maskanonjwa gaming. Maskanonjwa gaming. Magagwadavik and Digigwash. Magagwadavik and Digigwash. Rona Adair. Rona Adair. The Duffer's Elegy. The Duffer's Elegy. When Potter Played. When Potter Played. Colonial Preference. Colonial Preference. The Lyric League. The Lyric League. Psychology. Psychology. The Ball Poudre. The Ball Poudre. 
Wisdom and fancy. Wisdom and fancy. Persico's ODI. Persico's ODI. The iceberg. The iceberg. Horace I. I. Horace I. When you and I were young, Adam. When you and I were young, Adam. As a watch in the night. As a watch in the night. To R. R. W. To R. R. W. Christmas 1913 Toronto. Christmas 1913. Little White Crow, A Legend of STN. A Legend of STN. Part 1. Little White Crow was an Algonquin. And he lived on the Isle of Chips. His legs were long, and his flanks were thin. He had high cheekbones, and a strong square chin. Jet black was his hair, dark red was his skin. And white were his teeth, when a joyful grin. At the sound of the war-whoop's hideous din, parted his silent lips. Three eagles' feathers adorned his head. Well-greased was his snaky hair. His face was daubed with black and with red. No trousers he wore, but fringed leggings instead, and moccasins broidered with quills for thread. Very proud was his look, very stately his tread. And of this he was fully aware. Little white crow had a sharp couteau a carbine, and powder and shot, and the scalps of the braves whom he'd sent below. Hung at his girdle, a goodly row. He'd a medicine bag where he was wont to stow, charms against famine and fever and foe, and over his shoulders he used to throw, a beaver-skin robe on occasions of show. Oh, a very fine fellow was Little White Crow, if you're curious to learn why they christened him so. The Indian Department might possibly know. Asked Deputy Minister Scott. Father Lecoq was a priest from Quebec. Rather spindle of shank, rather scraggy of neck. He'd a stoop in the shoulder, was yellow of skin. With closely cut hair, and a smooth shaven chin. He had very black eyes, and a rather red nose. Wore shoes with steel buckles and very square toes. A big shovel hat, a black cassock and bands. And a rosary seldom was out of his hands. But Loyola never, and nowhere than he, had a Loyola or a more staunch devotee, and none carried further the Jesuit virtue. Viz. Do as you're bid, and don't cry if it hurt you. Though gentle by nature and fond of his ease, he would work like a slave his superior to please. He would shrink from no danger, pain, toil, or disgrace, or would swear wrong was right until black in the face. As wise as a serpent, as firm as a rock, yet as meek as a dove was good Father Lecoq. With bell, book, and candle the priest had been sent to Ottawa's banks with the pious intent to find, if he could, after diligent search, a few stray red sheep for the fold of the church. And there in a cabin of poles and of bark, he sang hymns and said masses from daylight to dark. It happened one day that good Father Lecoq had been visiting some of the lambs of his flock, and homeward returning, his pious task done, was paddling along at the set of the sun. Now a man may be virtuous, learned, austere, in religion devout, and in morals severe, yet true as it's strange, and sad as it's true, not able to manage a birch-bark canoe, so now, at the paddle by no means a dab, he caught what is vulgarly known as a crab, his balance he lost, the canoe was upset, and Father Lecoq tumbled into the wet.
Poor Father Lecoq. Any chance looker-on. Would have fancied for certain, his usefulness gone. And indeed, the priest's chance was uncommonly slim. The current ran fast, not a stroke could he swim. And he thought all was over in this world for him. But thanks to S.T. Francis, S.T.N., S.T. Ignatius. Or some saintly personage equally gracious. It happened that not fifty paces below. Behind a big boulder sat little white crow. He was fishing for trout, and I wish I could catch. In these days of sawmills another such batch. The rock, as I've said, hid the priest from his view. But he heard a great splash, and he saw a canoe. Float down bottom upwards, while close behind that. Swam jauntily after, a big shovel hat. No moment to ponder paused little white crow. He sprang from the bank like a shaft from a bow. He could swim like a mallard and dive like a loon. But he reached the poor priest not a moment too soon. Caught hold of his cassock and collared him fast. Just while he was sinking the third time and last. Then reaching the shore, dragged the poor father out. As you'd land a remarkably overgrown trout. It's needless to mention that little white crow. Did not know, and could not be expected to know. Dr. Marshall Hall's method, so justly renowned for restoring to life the apparently drowned. But he worked in his own way with such a good will. He rubbed and he chafed with such seal and such skill that the priest after heaving some very deep sighs first yawned and then groaned and then opened his eyes. Little Crow's simple means as completely succeeded as ever the treatment of any MD did. Where credit is due I'm determined to give it. And the priest before long was as right as a trivet my friend and preserver, you very well know. Thus the father the redskin addressed. That of gold and of silver I've none to bestow. In return for the life that to you I must owe. Here he drew a silk bag from his breast. But one precious treasure I beg you'll accept. And here, overcome by emotion, he wept. Then he took a small object from out of the bag. Which he carefully wiped with a small piece of rag. A moment he tenderly gazed on it then. He kissed it with fervor again and again. One last lingering look of affection, and so, he handed it over to Little White Crow. With stately politeness the Indian received. The treasure so prized, and at once he perceived. With some disappointment, to tell you the truth. A badly decayed, rather large, double tooth. In your estimation, I very much fear. Thus gravely the father began. Devoid of all value my gift will appear. But when you have heard me its worth will be clear. Tis a relic of holy saint, and To tell half its virtues all night would require. Tis an excellent cure for the vapors. Twill heal any dropsy, no matter how dire. Put out the last spark of St. Anthony's fire. And stop all St. Vitus's capers. The twinges of toothache, so hard to endure. The quinsy, the gout, and the spleen. The scurvy, the jaundice, all these it will cure. While to break up an ague you'll find it more sure. And a great deal more cheap than quinine. In short, there is nothing need cause you alarm. So long as this relic you wear. You'll find it indeed an infallible charm. Against every conceivable species of harm. To which poor humanity's heir. He ceased, the redskin gravely smiled and gravely shook his head. 
and then the simple forest child. Addressed the priest in accents mild. And this is what he said. My uncle thinks it's easy to go. Little white crow, I ween. Hollow and empty he deems his skull. He fancies his wits are all gone dull. He's wrong, they're all gone keen. He grinned, and without any further delay, put the tooth in his medicine bag safely away. And then with a gesture more free than polite, clapped the priest on the shoulder and wished him. Good night. Part 2. A year and a day. A year and a day. How the days and the weeks and the months roll away. How little we know what of joy or of sorrow lies. Before us next year. But I've no time to moralize. Well, a year and a day had elapsed as I've stated. Since the incidents happened I lately related. Little White Crow and a score of his friends. To further their own individual ends. And those of their neighbors as well, I've no doubt. Deep loaded with furs for Quebec had set out. They'd been rather more lucky than usual, I think. In hunting the beaver, the bear, and the mink. And their spoils at Quebec they intended to trade. For the goods of the French, which long habit had made. If not indispensable, still very handy. Knives, gunpowder, kettles, beads, bullets, and brandy. To keep to my story, our friends on this day. Down the river were calmly pursuing their way. One little white crow in the foremost canoe was startled to hear a wild hullabaloo. He sprang to his feet, and he shaded his eyes, then cried in a voice of alarm and surprise. We all use strong words when things happen to plague us. Oh, bother it! Here are those blessed Onondagas, he said, and with yells of defiance the crews paddled quickly ashore and pulled up their canoes. Oh, pleasant it is through the forest to stray, in the gladsome month of June, to list to the scream of the merry blue jay, and the chirp of the squirrels so blithe and gay, and the sigh of the soft south winds that play, in the top of the pine trees tall and gray, a sweet regretful tune, and pleasant it is o'er a forest lake, through the cool white mists to glide, ere the bright warm day is half awake. When the trout the glassy surface break, and the doe comes down her thirst to slake, with her dappled fawn by her side, where the loon's loud laugh rings wild and clear, where the black duck rears her brood, where the tall blue heron with mean austere, poised on one leg at the marge of the mere, muses in solitude. Yes, sweet and fair are the forest glades, where the world's rude clamors cease, where no harsh, Workaday sound invades The Sabbath rest of the solemn shades A paradise of peace But oh It's a different thing when one knows That each bush is an ambush concealing one's foes When the sweet flowers are choked by the sulfurous breath Of the musket whose mouth is the portal of death When instead of the song of the frolicsome bird Shots, shrieks, yells and curses alone can be heard then the streamlet's sweet tinkle seems changed to a knell, and the forest's deep gloom to the blackness of hell. Little white crow, at the close of the day, with a handful of comrades was standing at bay. Things had gone with them badly, they were but a score, and the enemy numbered a hundred or more. Now flushed with success and a victory sure, the Iroquois, thinking their triumph secure, were preparing to deal one last finishing blow to annihilate utterly little white crow.
Poor little white crow. Though a fisher of men. He hardly looked like an apostle just then. He'd been dodging all day behind rock, bush, and tree. A cunning old fox in a scrimmage was he. But numbers will tell in the long run, and now. With hate in his heart and revenge on his brow. With his knife in his teeth and his gun in his hand. As he urged on his comrades to make one last stand. Though his bullets were spent and their arrows all gone. He looked more like old Nick, I'm afraid, than St. John. Little white crow had poured into his gun. His last charge of powder, but bullets he'd none. He searched in his shop pouch again and again. He begged of his comrades, but begged all in vain. Among the whole party in fact there was not. So much as one pellet of number six shot. He was just giving up the whole job in disgust. When his hand in his medicine bag chancing to thrust. As fortune would have it his fingers he ran. Against the back tooth of the blessed saint and. Little white crow gave a terrible shout. The tooth in a trice from the bag he whipped out. Dropped it into his musket and yelling still louder. He rammed it well home on the top of the powder. But here come the foe. From rocks, bushes and trees. They start like a swarm of exasperate bees. A capital simile that is in any case. To describe an assault of Oneidas or Senecas. And one, as it happens, remarkably apt in. This particular case, for the Iroquois captain. Was a chief called Big Hornet, a beggar to fight. Who measured six feet and some inches in height. Twas he gave the signal to make the attack. Twas he led the rush of the bloodthirsty pack. And twas he, as he charged in the front of the foe. Attracted the notice of Little White Crow. Little White Crow brought his gun to his shoulder. And rested the barrel on top of a boulder. Singled out the big hornet's conspicuous figure. Drew a bead on his forehead. And then pulled the trigger. Click. Went the flintlock. And the musket went. Bang. The forest around with the loud echo rang. The gun burst to atoms. So great was the shock. And vanished entirely. Lock, barrel, and stock. While wholly uninjured, incredible though. It seems, I acknowledge, was little white crow. But the Iroquois chief gave a horrible yell. He threw up his arms and then backward he fell. He sprang to his feet and fell backward again. He rolled, and he writhed, and he wriggled with pain. His friends gathered round him and started aghast. At seeing a tooth to his nose sticking fast. Away! They cried, smitten with panic. Away! Let us fly to the distant hills! The devil is fighting against us today. Our foemen are shedding their teeth, as they say. That the porcupine sheds its quills. And shaking with terror away, they all ran. Big Hornet, as usual, leading the van. While astride on his nose sat the tooth of Saint and. Part 3. In the Iroquois towns very deep was the grief. When they heard of the pitiful plight of their chief. There wasn't a woman in all the five nations who didn't indulge in prolonged lamentations. They tried to relieve him, but tried all in vain. The tenderest touch produced exquisite pain. The medicine men tried incantations and sorceries. And yet, though their magic as strong as a hawser is, the tooth wouldn't budge for the best of the lot. The more they incanted the tighter it got. A Dutchman from Albany came to their aid. 
who had once been a student of medicine at Leiden. He practiced in vain each resource of his trade, and swore that the tooth by the foul fiend was made, while its carious cavity was, so he said, a hole for the devil to hide in. Big Hornet meanwhile grew haggard and gray. With grief and chagrin he was wasting away. His friends found their efforts all powerless to save. Their chief in his rapid descent to the grave. There was nobody able to set the tooth free. It clung like a little old man of the sea. It happened one day there was brought to the town. A captive French priest in a shabby black gown. He had very black eyes and a rather red nose. Wore shoes with steel buckles and very square toes. He'd a stoop in the shoulder, was yellow of skin. And a week's growth of bristles disfigured his chin. Alas and alack! It was Father Lecoq. The Iroquois wolves had both harried the flock. And kidnapped the shepherd, now doomed to be fried as. Soon as it suited the heathen Oneidas. Now, just as a drowning man grabs at a straw. His aid was besought by the favorite squaw. Of the sick man no doubt at some saint's kind suggestion. To specify which is quite out of the question. Oh, Frenchman, remove the excrescence that grows, so horribly tight on the bridge of his nose, and home to your friends you shall safely return, instead of remaining among us to burn. Thus urged, the good Jesuit followed the squall. But oh, his bewilderment, wonder and awe, no tongue can describe, and no pencil can paint when lifting his hands in amazement he saw, on the nose of the redskin the tooth of the saint. But Father Lecoq wasn't long at a loss. He made on the relic the sign of the cross. When, wondrous to hear and amazing to tell, the tooth from the nose incontinent fell, and the chief, from that moment, began to get well. My story is told. There's no more to relate. The Iroquois sent back the father in state. They feasted him daily as long as he tarry, then gave him more furs than he knew how to carry, and safe in his bosom, thrice fortunate man, he bore the back tooth of the blessed saint, and, as for little white crow from that day to the end, of his life he was known as the Frenchman's best friend, a friend of French missions he called himself, and he, without any doubt was a friend of French brandy. At the close of a well-spent career the old man had a collection of scalps quite unequaled in Canada, but never again did he venture to sneer. At the bones of the saints, looked they never so queer. He often would say that his good luck began. On the day he received the back tooth of Satan, and for all his successes he piously thanked it. He died full of years in the odor of sanctity. 1878 Consider the lilies of the field, O weary child of toil and care, trembling at every cloud that lowers. Come and behold how passing fair thy God hath made the flowers. From every hillside's sunny slope, from every forest's leafy shade, the flowers, sweet messengers of hope, bid thee be not afraid. The windflower blooms in yonder bower, all heedless of tomorrow's storm nor trembles for the coming shower, the lily's stately form, no busy shuttle plied to deck, with sunset tints the blushing rose, and little does the harebell wreck, of toil and all its woes, the water lily, pure and white, floats idle on the summer stream, 
seeming almost too fair and bright. For aught but poet's dream, the gorgeous tulip, though arrayed, in gold and gems, knows not of care. The violet in the mossy glade, of labor has no share. They toil not, yet the lilies dies. Phoenician fabrics far surpass, nor India's rarest gem outvies. The little blue-eyed grass, for God's own hand hath clothed the flowers. With fairy form and rainbow hue, hath nurtured them with summer showers, and watered them with dew. Today, a thousand blossoms fair, from sunny slope and sheltered glade, with grateful incense fill the air. Tomorrow they shall fade, but thou shalt live when sinks in night, yon glorious sun, and shall not he, who hath the flowers so richly dight, much rather care for thee. O faithless murmurer, thou mayst read. A lesson in the lowly sod. Heaven will supply thine utmost need. Fear not, but trust in God. 1865. The Skunk Cabbage. Along the oozing margins of swampy streams, where spring seems to detach the sluggish ice from the softening mud, the skunk cabbage is boldly announcing nature's revival. Handsome, vigorous, and strong, richly colored in purple, with delicate, Markings of yellow, it rises, a pointed bulb-like flower, as large as a lemon. Even its devoted admirers, who seek it as the earliest of all the awakening flowers, feel constrained to apologize for the odor it exhales. S.T. Wood in the globe. S.T. Wood. The soft south wind hath kissed the earth. That long a widowed bride hath been. And she begins in tearful mirth. To weave herself a robe of green. The budding spray, on maples gray, proclaims the quick approaching spring, and brooks their newfound freedom sing. Green is the moss in yonder glade, on cedars old that loves to grow, and underneath the pine tree's shade, the wintergreen peeps through the snow, the fields no more, with frost are hoar, but not a flower doth yet appear, in glade or wood or meadow sear, the earth within her sheltering breast. The pale hepatica doth hide. The bloodroot and wake-robin rest. In quiet slumber side by side. The violet. Is sleeping yet. And still the sweet spring beauty lies. Beyond the reach of longing eyes. But look. Beside the silent stream. Beneath the alders brown and bare. What is it shines with purple gleam? Mid-withered leaves that molder there? I know thee well but may not tell thy name. Yet I rejoice to meet thee, and from my heart, old friend, I greet thee. The lily hangs her dainty head to hear her charms so loudly sung. The rose doth blush a deeper red to know her praise on every tongue, but no kind word is ever heard. Of thee, the poets all reject thee. The vulgar scorn thee or neglect thee, and yet I love thee. Thou dost bring to me a thousand visions bright, of joyous birds that soon will sing, among the hawthorn blossoms white, of happy hours, mid dewy flowers, the hum of bees, the silvery gleams, of leaping trout and amber streams, soon as the snows of winter yield, to April sun and April floods, retiring from the open field, to strongholds in the thickest woods, then like a scout, Dost thou peep out, and cheerily lift up thy head, 
to tell the flowers the foe has fled. O thou that comest our hearts to cheer, the first of all the flowers of spring, brave herald of the opening year, accept the tribute that I bring, when now once more, the winter o'er, thy honest face has greeted us. O Simplocarpus Foetidus, 1904, the wanderer's song. We have left far behind us the dwellings of men. We have traversed the forest, the lake and the fen. From island to island like sea birds we roam. The waves are our path, and the world is our home. Juvelera, 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 Lyra, Lyra. Juvelera, 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 Lyra, Lyra. On the lone rugged rocks a rich table we spread. The balsam and hemlock afford us a bed while the gleam of our campfire illumines the sky, and the murmuring pines sing a soft lullaby, juvelera, etc., when the orient hues of the dawning of day emblazon the clouds and smile back from the bay. We spring from our couch like the stag from his lair, and drink in new life with the free morning air, juvelera, etc. Then we launch our light bark on the silvery lake, that dimples and breaks into smiles in our wake. While we sweeten our toil with a tale or a song, or rest while the winds waft us bravely along, Juvelera, etc. At night, when the deer to the thicket has fled, and the scream of the night hawk is heard overhead, we startle with laughter the wilderness dim, or the forests resound with our evening hymn, Juvelera, etc. Then hurrah for the north, with its woods and its hills, hurrah for its rocks and its lakes and its rills, and long may its forests be lovely as now, untouched by the axe, and unscathed by the plow, Juvelera, etc., 1870, the cowdung fly, of all the flies that ever I see, the cowdung fly is the fly for me, in cloud or shine, in wet or dry, you can't find the bead of the cowdung fly, so early in the morning or when the sun is sinking, so early in the morning or any time of day, the salmon fly shines in purple and gold, brighter than Solomon shone of old. But give me the finest that money can buy, and I'll give it you back for the cow dung fly. So early, and see, a cute little chap is the silver trout. When the wind is still and the sun shines out, no maiden so coy and no widow so sly, but he'll jump like a shot at the cow dung fly. So early, and see, a tough old cuss is the big black bass. It's a mighty hard job to bring him to grass. But it makes no odds how hard he may try. He can't resist the cow dung fly. So early, and see. There's many a fly of old renown. Green drake, red spinner and little march brown. Coachman, professor, but oh my eye. They ain't a patch on the cow dung fly. So early, and see. There are hackles black and hackles white. Goodbye day and goodbye night. Hackles brown and hackles red. But the cow dung fly is away ahead. So early, and see. There's the little black gnat when the sun shines bright. And the big white moth for the cool twilight. But of all the bugs in earth and sky. I'll bet my boots on the cow dung fly. So early, and see. Then anglers all you can't go wrong. If you've plenty of cow dung flies along. You never will want for fish to fry. If your book's well stocked with the cow dung fly, Song of the Bass, 
Over the waters, merrily dancing. Softly glides our light canoe. While the phantom mirror glancing. Shines alternate white and blue. Chorus. Never can tell when the bass is a-coming. Never can tell when he's going to bite. First thing you know your reel will be humming. Strike him quickly and hold him tight. Past the maples, red and yellow. Crimson oak and purple ash. Gosh. You've hooked a monstrous fellow. Golly. Don't you hear him splash? Hold him lightly. Reel him slowly. If you wish your fish to save. Nothing's gained by hurry. Holy. Moses. What a jump he gave. Lower your rod. Now take the slack up. Thank your stars you've got him yet. Now he sticks his thorny back up. Now you've got him in the net. In the basket, wrapped in fern, hill. Lion state and scaly grace. In the pan, when we return, hill. Find a warmer resting place. Let him fry in crumbs and butter. Hear the appetizing fizz. No weak words that I could utter. Can describe how good he is. Serve him with a slice of bacon. Quickly to the banquet come. And unless I'm much mistaken, your remark will be, Yum, yum! Never can tell when the bass is a-coming. Words, Doctors Ellis and Spencer. Music adapted. Words, Doctors Ellis and Spencer. Words, Doctors Ellis and Spencer. Ellis and Spencer. Allegro Piscator con Brio. Masconange Gaming. Would you slay the Masconange? In the fastness where he lurks? Leave a card poor Prandra Kanje. On the town and all its works. Leave the tramcar's jarring jangle. For the silent bark canoe. For the forest's leafy tangle. Bid the dusty streets adieu. As befits her slender tonnage. In our tiny craft we stow. Cunningly our modest dunnage. Shove her off. Away we go. Joy once more to grasp the paddle. Farewell worry, doubt and gloom. Care, who clings behind the saddle. Finds in our canoe no room. Off we go. The lake before us. Stretches far and stretches fair. Forest scents are wafted o'er us. Forest voices fill the air. Paddling past the pebbly beaches. Where the ancient cedar grows. Toiling in the open reaches. When the stiff nor'wester blows. Winding down the silent river. Where the scarlet maples blaze. And the pallid aspens quiver. Through the warm September days. Past the oily eddies sweeping. Where the hidden boulder lies. Down the rapid gaily leaping. Where the spray about us flies. Pulling through the gravelly shallows. Floating neath the alder's shade. Where the moose at noontide wallows. And the beaver plies his trade. Shoving through the rustling sedges. Battling with the autumn gale. Lifting over rocky ledges. Sweating on the portage trail. On we go, with steadfast faces. Till at last with gladdened eyes. We behold the secret places. Where the masconange lies. Shall we find him in the rushes? Where the water lilies grow. Where the roaring torrent gushes. In the foam-flecked pool below. Fierce and cunning, bold and cruel. Is the masconange grim. Who shall dare him to a duel? Who shall fight and conquer him? Proudly with his spoil returning. We with shouts the victor greet. By the campfire brightly burning.
He shall have the warmest seat. Is he hungry? Pile the platter. Thirsty? Join the gay carouse. Weary with his toil? What matter? Heap his bed with balsam boughs. Fill his pipe with rare Virginian. Cheer him till the echoes ring. Monarch of his new dominion. Maskinonjwa Gaming. 1904. Magagwadavik and Dijigwash. Are not Abana and Farpa rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Let each man praise the river. That's dearest to his heart. The Rhine, the Guathalkivir, the Danube, or the Dart. Let others sing the Tavi. The Tweed, the Wai, the Lee. Give me the Magagwadavik. The Dijigwash for me. Some men choose lakes for fishing. Sisib or Kuchiching. Namabinagashing. Kananjwagaming. I'll take my affidavit. That what they say is bosh. Give me the Magagwadavik. Give me the Dijigwash. Beneath the shady willow. Cast cunningly your flies. His wake a widening billow. Behold the monster rise. No dreadnought in the navy. Could make so big a splosh. You'd hear at Magagwadavik. The trout of Dijigwash. Behind the purple spruces. The golden sunset dies. As each his pipe produces. And puts away his flies. The baskets full. The slavey. Tomorrow morn shall wash. The spoils of Magagwadavik. The loot of Dijigwash. And when upon the table. They come to lie in state. Hardly shall we be able. A decent grace to wait. They need no sauce nor gravy. For none can beat, by gosh, the trout of Magagwadavik. But those of Dijigwash, O restless bay of Fundy, O mist and fog and rain, Hope whispers I may one day behold ye yet again. How gladly would I brave ye, nor ask a Macintosh to see the Magagwadavik, to fish the Dijigwash. Calaro's fair daughters have fled their ancient grots. The voice of many waters turns shrieking into what's. But spare, oh, spare, I crave ye, amid the general squash, the falls of Magagwadavik, the rips of Dijigwash, 1910, Rona Adair. How dull these links to me, Rona's not there. She whom I long to see, Rona Adair, who has a swing so true, who's such a follow-through. Who, who can putt like you? Rona Adair? Who drives her ball so far? Far through the air. Swift as a shooting star? Rona Adair. Who hits her ball so clean? Landing, whatever's between. Dead on the putting green? Rona Adair. Whose strokes, of all who strike? With hers compare? Who has a waggle like? Rona Adair? Of all the girls I've seen. Playing across the green. You, Rona, are the queen. Rona Adair. The Duffer's Elegy. Oh, put me on your waiting list. I'll be a golfer if I may. And learn the joys too long I've missed. Before I get too old to play. They gave him on the list a place. And year by year they let him wait. For golfers are a long-lived race. And very seldom emigrate. When, after many weary years. He reached the top his sponsor said. The friend, excuse these natural tears. Whom I proposed has long been dead. 
and when at last in Karen's wary, it was the sponsor's turn to stand. His friend came down to meet the fairy, a phantom niblick in his hand. Welcome to Hades, thus the shade, in hollow-sounding accents spoke, then spied a puffball and essayed to loft it, but he muffed his stroke. Permit me, pray, to be your guide, until you've learned your way about. Our golf course is our greatest pride. Old Colonel Bogey laid it out. Some people say Avernus stinks. An Acheron smells like a sewer. But Fernhill golfers like our links. They find the air so fresh and pure. Cositis, Styx and Phlegathon. As hazards serve extremely well. In this particular alone. The Lambton links are just like hell. The Asphodel wants cutting sadly. The lies are wretched, more's the pity. But everything is managed badly. By that infernal green committee. Come, lay aside your shroud and pall. And play a friendly round with me. A dead sea apple was the ball. A pinch of churchyard dust, the tea. He took the club of cypress wood. And smote what seemed a mighty blow. But though the aim was true and good. The ball remained in statu quo. Alack and well a day. He cried. A duffer must I ever be. A duffer I have lived and died. A duffer through eternity. 1905. When Potter played. When Potter played in front of me. The other day upon the links. The mist rolled landward from the sea. The sleepy caddy yawns and blinks. We watched him waggle at the tee. And curl his body into kinks. When Potter played in front of me. The other day upon the links. We watched him make the divots flee. And dribble o'er the bunker's brinks. The dewdrops sparkled on the lea. The sun shone through the fog bank's chinks. My partner, hopeful, said to me, He'll lose, and let us through methinks. When Potter played in front of me, the other day upon the links, the noonday sun looks down in glee, while Potter in the bunker swinks. He plies the niblick merrily, while caddy unto caddy winks. The crow on yonder tall fir tree looks down and caws at such high jinks. When Potter played in front of me, the other day upon the links, the shadows fall on land and sea. The sun to rest in splendor sinks. And Potter crouched on hand and knee. Thinks out each putt, and thinks and thinks. We all got home too late for tea. My mind with grief and horror shrinks. From memory of the day when we played after Potter on the links. 1910. Colonial preference. McGregor, always spick and span, was quite the military man. He never walked about the town, arrayed in sober cap and gown, but blazed in scarlet, gold, and steel, and clanked a saber at his heel. He took no pride in his degree, in FCS and FIC, but wrote with joy akin to tears. C.D., Canadian engineers. McGregor had been often sent, his country's arms to represent, to Chatham, Woolwich, Aldershot, or anywhere. It mattered not. He always followed, never weary. Quo fas eti gloria duxier. At length, because they thought him yearning. To represent his country's learning. Toronto University. Knowing how ready he would be. Alike in bellow and in. Pace. Dispatched him to the ICAC. He packed his trappings academical. And sailed to join the Congress chemical. 
which meant that you're in London Riki. To study. La Chimi Apliki. Watching the vessels fall and rise. Twas thus he did soliloquize. I may not wear my sword and spurs, but one glad thought my bosom stirs. Tis this that I shall surely be. Presented to his majesty. It may be when he sees my face. He will reward me with a place. With my deserts commensurate. The secretaries say of state. For war, or give me chief command. Of all his troops on sea and land. Arrived in town, his journey done. He took a cab to Kensington. Sir William Ramsay, honest man. With kindly words to greet him ran. Put on, he cried, your cleanest shirt, and free your hands and face from dirt. Tomorrow you shall go with me, to meet his gracious majesty. When they alighted from the train, they met the Lord High Chamberlain, who scanned each name with anxious care, lest some who ought not should be there. Here's Stinkmout from Budapest, and Sneeztoff, and all the rest. Ezra P. Binks from Idaho. But here's a name I do not know. D.R. McGregor from Toronto. That's something that I've not got onto. Sir William cried. The college where? My friend McGregor holds a chair. Is in Toronto, Canada. Ah, said the Chamberlain. Aha. I've heard of Canada, of course. But that's another colored horse. Your friend, to say it gives me pain. We'll have to toddle back again. The king, the invitation states, receives the foreign delegates. Remove this person from the list. He's nothing but a colonist. A prophet, says the holy book, must not at home for honor look. The greater here includes the lesser. For prophet, therefore read, Professor, 1912, the Lyric League. We be seventy lyric poets, all in the fatherland. Our verse is delightful although it's not easy to understand. We're the flower and crown of the nation, the crown and flower of the earth. But we find our remuneration inadequate to our worth. We sing of Sensucht and Trauer, Die Liebe, Das Hers and Die Welt. But lighter, we haven't the power to sing from the public. Das Geld, the plumbers have their union. Fast join the joiners keep, and sweep hold dark communion, with sooty brother sweep, the motormen and switchmen, the very firemen band, alone against the rich men, the poets helpless stand, a fig for the Philistine slander, let's cut from all precedent loose, what's sauce for the bus driving gander, is sauce for the quill driving goose, we'll found, because empty our purse is, a lyrish dactivarine, and we won't write any more verses under fifty pfennig a line. Psychology. Dr. Jaeger has propounded the theory that the soul is an emanation emitted by animals and is the cause of the odor characteristic of each species. C.F. in Lives of the Saints. The odor of sanctity. Also supra, page 17. What's the soul? Throughout the ages. Mystery never yet unveiled. Prophets, poets, saints, and sages. All have tried and all have failed. But at last we've got an answer. No vague dream or fancy vaguer. From a scientific man, sir. Her professor Dr. Jaeger. Printed in his lucid pages. 
This is what he has to tell. Listen poets, listen sages. That's the soul that makes the smell. Whoso takes his meat to season. Onions chopped or garlic whole. Shall enjoy a feast of reason. Followed by a flow of soul. The Bal Pudre. The Reverend Canon de Moulin. Although he don't object. To dancing in a room alone. With company select. Can't tolerate the Bal Pudre. I am not surprised at all. For when there's powder, cannons play. The mischief with a ball. Wisdom and fancy from the German of A. G. Marius. From the German of A. G. Marius. A. G. Marius. With weary steps as wisdom trod. In reason's dusty way. Came fancy with alluring nod. And beckoned him astray. Laughing she snatched away his books. And charmed him with her witching looks. He could not say her nay. She shook her curls with childlike grace. And all his anger fled. He looked into her sunny face. And followed where she led. And lo! His weariness was gone. Fresh vigor filled his soul. She led him up, she led him on. Till he had reached his goal. Persico's odii to my tobacconist. To my tobacconist. I hate your imported Havanas. Your perfumed cheroots I decline. His own special weakness each man has. A pipe, I confess it is mine. Why take from their elegant wrappers? Your gilded cork-tipped cigarettes. Fit only for militant flappers. Or reckless RMC cadets? What need for cigars to be pining? When smoking a briar or a clay. In front of the fire I'm reclining. And peacefully puffing away. The iceberg. We stood upon the deck and saw. Mid fog and mist the iceberg loom. And while we gazed in wondering awe. It vanished into mist and gloom. With various skill each tried to draw. What printed on his brain had been. The vision that he thought he saw. Or that he thought he should have seen. Some drew it flat, some drew it round. And some with many a tower and steeple. And when we shoot our work we found. As many bergs as there were people. Across each other's paths we drift. Pale shadows on a misty sea. The clouds but for a moment lift. Then naught is left but memory. If then at any distant day. Your thoughts should chance to turn to me. Draw me not as I am I pray. But as you think I ought to be. Horace odes I. I. Colonel, most worthy president. Our club's chief stay and ornament. One man who drives with dust and jar. A 40 HP motor car. All other mortals counts but clods. Himself a rival of the gods. The fickle crowd another woos. Him for a threefold term to choose. A third will lie awake all night. If Manitoba weep be light. Not Rockefeller's treasure chest. Could tempt the farmer to invest. The savings of his life of toil. In shares of rubber or of oil. The liner skipper when he steers. The foghorn booming in his ears. Through thousand dangers all unseen. Sighs for the peaceful village green. Yet fog nor ice nor foundered ships. Can stop him making record trips. Some spurn not when their throats are dry. Long drinks of Irish or old rye. Nor scorn to blow through moistened lips. Great clouds of smoke between the sips. Others in such things find no charms. And when the bugle calls to arms, would banish from the tented green, 
Bugbear of matrons, the canteen. The hunter leaves his tender spouse. For a rude bed of hemlock boughs. Content to bag a head or two. Of bearded moose or caribou. But give me rather, if you please. A scorecard full of fours and threes. The bunker cleared, the putt gone done. And, of all joys the flower and crown. The well-hit tee-shot's graceful flight. When everything has gone just right. Alas! Fate holds for me in store. No chances of a bogey score. I must send until I am sick. Cards that defy arithmetic. Nay, haply, the Etobico. May add to every hole a stroke. Yet, Colonel, if your grace awards. Some place among the minor bards. Who sing the game to me, ah, then. I am the happiest of men. If me from this no fate debars. Then my swelled head shall strike the stars. When you and I were young. When you and I were babes, Adam. In good Prince Albert's time. The word went forth that war should cease. Commerce should link all lands and peace. Should dwell in every clime. When you and I were boys, Adam. In Queen Victoria's days. Those guns that now so silent stand. Where meet the rulers of our land. With olive decked in bays. Roared from the Russian ramparts grim, their muzzles all ablaze, while old Tottleben, with his back, against the wall, foiled each attack. In Queen Victoria's days, when you and I were young, Adam, in good Victoria's time, we stood together side by side, when Newbin and Mackenzie died, and Tempest, ere their prime, but say not, they have left no peer, that were unwelcome praise. To those three friends of ours long dead, whose blood for fatherland was shed, in good Victoria's days, in royal Edward's time, Adam, fresh prophecies were rife. They told us nickel pointed shot, and flat trajectories and what not, would rid the world of strife. But now that we are old, Adam, we see with startled eyes, quick firing guns won't stop the Jap, nor Serb nor Bulger cares a rap. Who wins the Nobel Prize? When you and I were young, Adam, there were no telephones. There was no ultramicroscope. And no x-rays for those who grope. And pry among the bones. But though with diagnostic aids, they were but ill-supplied. There were few who shrewdly guessed. Old what's-his-name among the rest. At what went on inside. When you and I were young, Adam, it was damnation stark. To doubt that all that breathed the air Came, male and female, pair by pair Straight out of Noah's Ark Mutanter, Adam Tempora Mutamer Nos. And now we're not a bit afraid To tell just how the world was made In detail and in gross In pre-Archean periods Of elemental stress The C and H and O and N Collide, rebound, combine, and then React with H2S. Colloidal specks from this ensued. Which grew and grew and grew. With lively motion all endued. Till they attained a magnitude. Of 001 mu. Then somewhere over 01. And under 05. Amoeboid feelers out they sent. And took some liquid nourishment. And lo, they were alive. In pre-Archean periods. Let fancy have her fling. But, Adam, will your faith allow 
Such goings-on can happen now. When George V is king? Well, times may change, and we may change. But find him when I can. I'll drink a health to one who stood. For all that's honest, kind, and good. So here's to you, old man. 1912. As a watch in the night. The soldier called from rest or play. To take his post as sentinel. To guard until the break of day. Some sore-beleaguered citadel. Springs to his arms with beating heart. To take some more worn veteran's place. Proud to perform a soldier's part. Dreading what yet he dares to face. His comrade's footsteps on his ears. Ring fainter and fainter. Silence falls. About him. Moments seem like years. And loneliness his soul appalls. But when the signal rockets flare. He strains his eyes the void to scan. When sounds of battle fill the air. In face of death he plays the man. He stays where duty bids him stay. The boldest when he fears the most. And rounds come whensoever they may. Find him alert and at his post. Unnumbered now the moments fly. By him whose thoughts are set upon. Each moment's task. The eastern sky. Brightens with dawn. The night is gone. And hark, at last he grows aware. Of footsteps his release that tell. Clear rings his challenge. Who goes there? Relief. Advance, relief, all's well. 1913. To R. R. W. From Scotland's mists across the sea you bore. The sacred fire, kindled by him whose name. Has made the century famous with his fame. And bid our lamp burn brighter than before. Upon our tree, a branch from Scotland's shore. You grafted, and behold our tree became. Wanton in leafage, with blossoms all aflame. Deep-rooted, and with boughs to heaven that soar. We see the better issue from the strife. And hope the best. In loathsome crawling things. We feel the fluttering of jeweled wings. In nature's score, with seeming discords rife. We seek to read, with you, the note that brings. To harmony the jarring chords of life. Richard Clay and Sons, Limited. Brunswick Street, Stamford Street, S.E. and Bungai, Suffolk. Wayside Weeds. By William Hodgson Ellis. There is a heaven. It is where scholars read and thinkers brood. It is where scholars read and thinkers brood. Four crowns and halos volumes in a row. Crowns and halos. For angels' wings it has its gown and hood. Gown and hood. In that seraphic choir see Ellis sit. With that Elysian light his numbers glow. The scholar's seriousness, the scholar's wit. Twin spirits in alternate ebb and flow. Twin spirits. Studious and silent he has read life's page. Scholar and chemist he sees part and whole. He sees part and whole. Teaching and thought let loose his noble rage. Noble rage. And stir the genial current of his soul. Stir the genial current. His golden rod absorbs our meaner staves. Golden rod. As Aaron's rod the rods of Pharaoh. Or as New Brunswick's river name outbraves. The pious Jordan of Ontario. Pious Jordan. His may blossoms relieve our strenuous may. Strenuous may. Our evening smoke curls bluer as we read. The earliest pipe of half-awakened day. Draws a new fragrance from his choice a weed. 
His artless puffballs have a tale to tell. His flora opens treasures new and old. His wayside weeds have been our asphodel. Wayside weeds. His dandelions become our harmless gold. Weed, page 37. Weed, page 43. Fringing the dusty road with harmless gold. Some elucidations of the introduction by the editors. 1. Amidst the fairest flowers. Of the blessed isles, Elysium's blooming bowers. Greek inscription on a marble at Rome. Neves, Greek Anthology Eden. 1874, page 62. Blooming. Vulgarism, meaning weedy. 2. 3. 4. 8. Omicron beta lambda alpha sigma tau. 10. Pi omicron lambda pi alpha pi lambda omicron. Pi omicron lambda pi theta. 11 to 12. Lambda sigma beta omicron nu tau alpha. Lambda lambda sigma sigma omega beta omega nu. 13. Weed page 31. 16. 17 to 20. Lambda epsilon nu lambda epsilon omicron. 23 to 24. Pi alpha nu theta o kappa delta epsilon. Pi alpha nu theta iota sigma mu. J M J J M. Contents. Page. Little white crow. Little white crow. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the lilies of the field. The skunk cabbage. The skunk cabbage. The wanderer's song. The wanderer's song. The cow dung fly. The cow dung fly. The song of the bass. The song of the bass. Maskanonjwa Gaming. Maskanonjwa Gaming. Magagwadavik and Digigwash. Magagwadavik and Digigwash. Rona Adair. Rona Adair. The Duffer's Elegy. The Duffer's Elegy. When Potter played. When Potter played. Colonial Preference. Colonial Preference. The Lyric League. The Lyric League. Psychology. Psychology. The Ball Pudre. The Ball Pudre. Wisdom and Fancy. Wisdom and Fancy. Persico's Odii. Persico's Odii. The Iceberg. The Iceberg. Horus I. I. Horus I. When you and I were young, Adam. When you and I were young, Adam. As a watch in the night. As a watch in the night. To R. R. W. To R. R. W. Christmas 1913 Toronto. Christmas 1913. Little White Crow, A Legend of STN. A Legend of STN. Part 1. Little White Crow was an Algonquin. And he lived on the Isle of Chips. His legs were long, and his flanks were thin. He had high cheekbones, and a strong square chin. Jet black was his hair, dark red was his skin. And white were his teeth, when a joyful grin. At the sound of the war whoop's hideous din, parted his silent lips. Three eagle's feathers adorned his head. Well greased was his snaky hair. His face was daubed with black and with red. No trousers he wore, but fringed leggings instead, and moccasins broidered with quills for thread. Very proud was his look, very stately his tread. And of this he was fully aware. Little white crow had a sharp couteau a carbine and powder and shot, and the scalps of the braves whom he'd sent below. Hung at his girdle, a goodly row. He'd a medicine bag where he was wont to stow, 
charms against famine and fever and foe. And over his shoulders he used to throw a beaver-skin robe on occasions of show. Oh, a very fine fellow was Little White Crow. If you're curious to learn why they christened him so, the Indian Department might possibly know. Ask Deputy Minister Scott. Father Lecoq was a priest from Quebec. Rather spindle of shank, rather scraggy of neck. He'd a stoop in the shoulder, was yellow of skin. With closely cut hair and a smooth-shaven chin. He had very black eyes and a rather red nose. Wore shoes with steel buckles and very square toes. A big shovel hat, a black cassock and bands. And a rosary seldom was out of his hands. But Loyola never, and nowhere than he, had a Loyola or a more staunch devotee. And none carried further the Jesuit virtue. Viz. Do as you're bid, and don't cry if it hurt you. Though gentle by nature and fond of his ease, he would work like a slave his superior to please. He would shrink from no danger, pain, toil, or disgrace. Or would swear wrong was right until black in the face. As wise as a serpent, as firm as a rock. Yet as meek as a dove was good Father Lecoq. With bell, book, and candle the priest had been sent. To Ottawa's banks, with the pious intent. To find, if he could, after diligent search. A few stray, red sheep for the fold of the church. And there in a cabin of poles and of bark. He sang hymns and said masses from daylight to dark. It happened one day that good father Lecoq had been visiting some of the lambs of his flock. And homeward returning, his pious task done, was paddling along at the set of the sun. Now a man may be virtuous, learned, austere, in religion devout, and in morals severe. Yet true as it's strange, and sad as it's true. Not able to manage a birch-bark canoe. So now, at the paddle by no means a dab. He caught what is vulgarly known as a crab. His balance he lost, the canoe was upset. And Father Lecoq tumbled into the wet. Poor Father Lecoq. Any chance looker-on. Would have fancied for certain, his usefulness gone. And indeed, the priest's chance was uncommonly slim. The current ran fast, not a stroke could he swim. And he thought all was over in this world for him. But thanks to S.T. Francis, S.T. Anne, S.T. Ignatius, or some saintly personage equally gracious, it happened that not fifty paces below, behind a big boulder sat little white crow. He was fishing for trout, and I wish I could catch. In these days of sawmills another such batch, the rock, as I've said, hid the priest from his view. But he heard a great splash, and he saw a canoe float down bottom upwards, while close behind that swam jauntily after a big shovel hat. No moment to ponder paused little white crow. He sprang from the bank like a shaft from a bow. He could swim like a mallard and dive like a loon. But he reached the poor priest not a moment too soon caught hold of his cassock and collared him fast, just while he was sinking the third time and last. Then reaching the shore, dragged the poor father out. As you'd land a remarkably overgrown trout, it's needless to mention that little white crow did not know and could not be expected to know Dr. Marshall Hall's method, so justly renowned, for restoring to life the apparently drowned. But he worked in his own way with such a good will 
he rubbed and he chafed with such zeal and such skill, that the priest after heaving some very deep sighs, first yawned, and then groaned, and then opened his eyes. Little Crow's simple means as completely succeeded, as ever the treatment of any MD did. Where credit is due I'm determined to give it, and the priest before long was as right as a trivet. My friend and preserver, you very well know. Thus the father the redskin addressed. That of gold and of silver I've none to bestow. In return for the like that to you I must owe. Here he drew a silk bag from his breast. But one precious treasure I beg you'll accept. And here, overcome by emotion, he wept. Then he took a small object from out of the bag, which he carefully wiped with a small piece of rag. A moment he tenderly gazed on it then. He kissed it with fervor again and again. One last lingering look of affection, and so, he handed it over to Little White Crow. With stately politeness the Indian received. The treasure so prized, and at once he perceived. With some disappointment, to tell you the truth. A badly decayed, rather large, double tooth. In your estimation, I very much fear. Thus gravely the father began. Devoid of all value my gift will appear. But when you have heard me its worth will be clear. Tis a relic of holy saint, and to tell half its virtues all night would require. Tis an excellent cure for the vapors. Twill heal any dropsy, no matter how dire. Put out the last spark of St. Anthony's fire. And stop all St. Vitus's capers. The twinges of toothache, so hard to endure. The quinsy, the gout, and the spleen. The scurvy, the jaundice, all these it will cure. While to break up an ague you'll find it more sure. And a great deal more cheap than quinine. In short, there is nothing need cause you alarm. So long as this relic you wear, you'll find it indeed an infallible charm against every conceivable species of harm to which poor humanity's heir. He ceased, the redskin gravely smiled and gravely shook his head. And then the simple forest child addressed the priest in accents mild. And this is what he said. My uncle thinks it's easy to go. Little white crow, I ween. Hollow and empty he deems his skull. He fancies his wits are all gone dull. He's wrong, they're all gone keen. He grinned, and without any further delay, put the tooth in his medicine bag safely away. And then with a gesture more free than polite, clapped the priest on the shoulder and wished him. Good night. Part 2. A year and a day. A year and a day. How the days and the weeks and the months roll away. How little we know what of joy or of sorrow lies. Before us next year, but I've no time to moralize. Well, a year and a day had elapsed as I've stated. Since the incidents happened I lately related. Little White Crow and a score of his friends. To further their own individual ends. And those of their neighbors as well, I've no doubt. Deep loaded with furs for Quebec had set out. They'd been rather more lucky than usual, I think. In hunting the beaver, the bear, and the mink. And their spoils at Quebec they intended to trade. For the goods of the French, which long habit had made. If not indispensable, still very handy. Knives, gunpowder, kettles, beads, bullets, and brandy. To keep to my story, our friends on this day. Down the river were calmly pursuing their way. 
one little white crow in the foremost canoe, was startled to hear a wild hullabaloo. He sprang to his feet, and he shaded his eyes, then cried in a voice of alarm and surprise. We all use strong words when things happen to plague us. Oh, bother it! Here are those blessed Onondagas, he said, and with yells of defiance the crews paddled quickly ashore and pulled up their canoes. Oh, pleasant it is through the forest to stray, in the gladsome month of June, to list to the scream of the merry blue jay, and the chirp of the squirrels so blithe and gay, and the sigh of the soft south winds that play, in the top of the pine trees tall and gray, a sweet regretful tune, and pleasant it is o'er a forest lake, through the cool white mists to glide, ere the bright warm day is half awake, when the trout the glassy surface break, and the doe comes down her thirst to slake, with her dappled fawn by her side, where the loon's loud laugh rings wild and clear, where the black duck rears her brood, where the tall blue heron with mean austere, poised on one leg at the marge of the mere, muses in solitude, yes, sweet and fair are the forest glades, where the world's rude clamors cease, where no harsh, workaday sound invades, the Sabbath rest of the solemn shades, a paradise of peace. But oh, it's a different thing when one knows that each bush is an ambush concealing one's foes, when the sweet flowers are choked by the sulfurous breath of the musket whose mouth is the portal of death, when instead of the song of the frolicsome bird, Shots, shrieks, yells, and curses alone can be heard. Then the streamlet's sweet tinkle seems changed to a knell, and the forest's deep gloom to the blackness of hell. Little white crow, at the close of the day, with a handful of comrades was standing at bay. Things had gone with them badly, they were but a score, and the enemy numbered a hundred or more. Now flushed with success and a victory sure, the Iroquois, thinking their triumph secure, were preparing to deal one last finishing blow, to annihilate utterly little white crow. Poor little white crow, though a fisher of men, he hardly looked like an apostle just then. He'd been dodging all day behind rock, bush, and tree. A cunning old fox in a scrimmage was he, but numbers will tell in the long run, and now, with hate in his heart and revenge on his brow, with his knife in his teeth and his gun in his hand, as he urged on his comrades to make one last stand, though his bullets were spent and their arrows all gone. He looked more like old Nick, I'm afraid, than St. John. Little white crow had poured into his gun, his last charge of powder, but bullets he'd none. He searched in his shot pouch again and again. He begged of his comrades, but begged all in vain. Among the whole party in fact there was not so much as one pellet of number six shot. He was just giving up the whole job in disgust, when his hand in his medicine bag chancing to thrust. As fortune would have it his fingers he ran, against the back tooth of the blessed saint and little white crow gave a terrible shout. The tooth in a trice from the bag he whipped out, dropped it into his musket, and yelling still louder, he rammed it well home on the top of the powder, but here come the foe, from rocks, bushes, and trees. They start like a swarm of exasperate bees. A capital simile that is in any case. 
to describe an assault of Oneidas or Senecas. And one, as it happens, remarkably apt in this particular case, for the Iroquois captain, was a chief called Big Hornet, a beggar to fight, who measured six feet and some inches in height. Twas he gave the signal to make the attack. Twas he led the rush of the bloodthirsty pack. And twas he, as he charged in the front of the foe, attracted the notice of Little White Crow. Little White Crow brought his gun to his shoulder and rested the barrel on top of a boulder, singled out the big hornet's conspicuous figure, drew a bead on his forehead, and then pulled the trigger. Click! went the flintlock, and the musket went. Bang! The forest around with the loud echo rang. The gun burst to atoms, so great was the shock, and vanished entirely, lock, barrel, and stock, while wholly uninjured, incredible though. It seems, I acknowledge, was little white crow. But the Iroquois chief gave a horrible yell. He threw up his arms and then backward he fell. He sprang to his feet and fell backward again. He rolled, and he writhed, and he wriggled with pain. His friends gathered round him and started aghast. At seeing a tooth to his nose sticking fast. Away! They cried, smitten with panic. Away! Let us fly to the distant hills! The devil is fighting against us today. Our foemen are shedding their teeth, as they say. That the porcupine sheds its quills. And shaking with terror away, they all ran. Big Hornet, as usual, leading the van. While astride on his nose sat the tooth of Saint and. Part 3. In the Iroquois towns very deep was the grief. When they heard of the pitiful plight of their chief. There wasn't a woman in all the five nations who didn't indulge in prolonged lamentations. They tried to relieve him, but tried all in vain. The tenderest touch produced exquisite pain. The Medicine men tried incantations and sorceries. And yet, though their magic as strong as a hawser is, the tooth wouldn't budge for the best of the lot. The more they incanted, the tighter it got. A Dutchman from Albany came to their aid, who had once been a student of medicine at Leiden. He practiced in vain each resource of his trade, and swore that the tooth by the foul fiend was made, while its carious cavity was, so he said, a hole for the devil to hide in. Big Hornet meanwhile grew haggard and gray. With grief and chagrin he was wasting away. His friends found their efforts all powerless to save, their chief in his rapid descent to the grave. There was nobody able to set the tooth free. It clung like a little old man of the sea. It happened one day there was brought to the town a captive French priest in a shabby black gown. He had very black eyes and a rather red nose. Wore shoes with steel buckles and very square toes. He'd a stoop in the shoulder, was yellow of skin, and a week's growth of bristles disfigured his chin. Alas and alack! It was Father Lecoq. The Iroquois wolves had both harried the flock and kidnapped the shepherd, now doomed to be fried as soon as it suited the heathen Oneidas. Now, just as a drowning man grabs at a straw, his aid was besought by the favorite squaw of the sick man, no doubt at some saint's kind suggestion, to specify which is quite out of the question. O oh, Frenchman, remove the excrescence that grows so horribly tight on the bridge of his nose. And home to your friends you shall safely return. 
instead of remaining among us to burn. Thus urged, the good Jesuit followed the squall. But oh, his bewilderment, wonder and awe, no tongue can describe, and no pencil can paint. When lifting his hands in amazement he saw, on the nose of the redskin the tooth of the saint. But Father Lecoq wasn't long at a loss. He made on the relic the sign of the cross. When wondrous to hear and amazing to tell, the tooth from the nose and continent fell, and the chief, from that moment, began to get well. My story is told. There's no more to relate. The Iroquois sent back the father in state. They feasted him daily as long as he tarry, then gave him more furs than he knew how to carry. And safe in his bosom, thrice fortunate man, he bore the back tooth of the blessed saint, and, as for little white crow from that day to the end, of his life he was known as the Frenchman's best friend, a friend of French missions he called himself, and he, without any doubt was a friend of French brandy. At the close of a well-spent career the old man had a collection of scalps quite unequaled in Canada, but never again did he venture to sneer. At the bones of the saints, looked they never so queer. He often would say that his good luck began. On the day he received the back tooth of Satan, and for all his successes he piously thanked it. He died full of years in the odor of sanctity. 1878. Consider the lilies of the field. O weary child of toil and care, trembling at every cloud that lowers. Come and behold how passing fair. Thy God hath made the flowers. From every hillside sunny slope, from every forest's leafy shade, the flowers, sweet messengers of hope, bid thee, be not afraid. The windflower blooms in yonder bower, all heedless of tomorrow's storm, nor trembles for the coming shower. The lily's stately form, no busy shuttle plied to deck, with sunset tints the blushing rose, and little does the harebell wreck of toil and all its woes. The water lily, pure and white, floats idle on the summer stream, seeming almost too fair and bright, for aught but poets dream. The gorgeous tulip, though arrayed in gold and gems, knows not of care. The violet in the mossy glade of labor has no share. They toil not, yet the lily's dyes, Phoenician fabrics far surpass. Nor India's rarest gem outvies the little blue-eyed grass, for God's own hand hath clothed the flowers, with fairy form and rainbow hue, hath nurtured them with summer showers, and watered them with dew. Today a thousand blossoms fair, from sunny slope and sheltered glade, with grateful incense fill the air. Tomorrow they shall fade, but thou shalt live when sinks in night, yon glorious sun, and shall not he who hath the flowers so richly dight, much rather care for thee. O faithless murmurer, thou mayst read a lesson in the lowly sod. Heaven will supply thine utmost need. Fear not, but trust in God. 1865. The Skunk Cabbage. Along the oozing margins of swampy streams, where spring seems to detach the sluggish ice from the softening mud, the skunk cabbage is boldly announcing nature's revival. Handsome, vigorous and strong, richly colored in purple, with delicate, markings of yellow, it rises, a pointed bulb-like flower, as large as a lemon, 
even its devoted admirers, who seek it as the earliest of all the awakening flowers, feel constrained to apologize for the odor it exhales. S.T. Wood in the Globe S.T. Wood The soft south wind hath kissed the earth, that long a widowed bride hath been, and she begins in tearful mirth, to weave herself a robe of green, the budding spray, on maples gray, proclaims the quick approaching spring, and brooks their new-found freedom sing. Green is the moss in yonder glade, on cedars old that loves to grow, and underneath the pine tree's shade, the wintergreen peeps through the snow, the fields no more, with frost are hoar, but not a flower doth yet appear, in glade or wood or meadow sear, the earth within her sheltering breast, the pale hepatica doth hide, the bloodroot and wake-robin rest, in quiet slumber side by side, the violet is sleeping yet, and still the sweet spring beauty lies, beyond the reach of longing eyes, but look, beside the silent stream, beneath the alders brown and bare, what is it shines with purple gleam, mid withered leaves that moulder there? I know thee well, but may not tell thy name. Yet I rejoice to meet thee, and from my heart, old friend, I greet thee. The lily hangs her dainty head, to hear her charms so loudly sung. The rose doth blush a deeper red, to know her praise on every tongue. But no kind word is ever heard of thee. The poets all reject thee. The vulgar scorn thee or neglect thee. And yet I love thee. Thou dost bring to me a thousand visions bright of joyous birds that soon will sing among the hawthorn blossoms white of happy hours mid dewy flowers the hum of bees the silvery gleams of leaping trout and amber streams soon as the snows of winter yield to April sun and April floods Retiring from the open field To strongholds in the thickest woods Then like a scout Dost thou peep out And cheerily lift up thy head To tell the flowers the foe has fled O thou that comest our hearts to cheer The first of all the flowers of spring Brave herald of the opening year Accept the tribute that I bring When now once more The winter o'er Thy honest face has greeted us O Simplocarpus Foetidus, 1904, The Wanderer's Song. We have left far behind us the dwellings of men. We have traversed the forest, the lake and the fen. From island to island like sea birds we roam. The waves are our path, and the world is our home. Juvelera, 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 Lyra, Lyra. Juvelera, 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 Lyra, Lyra. On the lone rugged rocks a rich table we spread. The balsam and hemlock afford us a bed. While the gleam of our campfire illumines the sky. And the murmuring pines sing a soft lullaby. Juvelera, etc. When the orient hues of the dawning of day. Emblazon the clouds and smile back from the bay. We spring from our couch like the stag from his lair. And drink in new life with the free morning air. Juvelera, etc. Then we launch our light bark on the silvery lake That dimples and breaks into smiles in our wake While we sweeten our toil with a tale or a song Or rest while the winds waft us bravely along Juvelera, etc. 
at night when the deer to the thicket has fled, and the scream of the night hawk is heard overhead. We startle with laughter the wilderness dim, or the forests resound with our evening hymn, Juvelera, etc. Then hurrah for the north, with its woods and its hills. Hurrah for its rocks, and its lakes and its rills, and long may its forests be lovely as now, untouched by the axe, and unscathed by the plough. Juvelera, etc. 1870. The cow dung fly. Of all the flies that ever I see, the cow dung fly is the fly for me. In cloud or shine, in wet or dry, you can't find the bead of the cow dung fly. So early in the morning or when the sun is sinking, so early in the morning or any time of day, the salmon fly shines in purple and gold, brighter than Solomon shone of old. But give me the finest that money can buy, and I'll give it you back for the cow dung fly. So early, and see, a cute little chap is the silver trout. When the wind is still and the sun shines out, no maiden so coy and no widow so sly, but he'll jump like a shot at the cow dung fly. So early, and see, a tough old cuss is the big black bass. It's a mighty hard job to bring him to grass but it makes no odds how hard he may try. He can't resist the cow dung fly. So early, and see. There's many a fly of old renown. Green drake, red spinner and little march brown. Coachman, professor, but oh my eye. They ain't a patch on the cow dung fly. So early, and see. There are hackles black and hackles white. Goodbye day and goodbye night. Hackles brown and hackles red. But the cow dung fly is away ahead. So early, and see. There's the little black gnat when the sun shines bright. And the big white moth for the cool twilight. But of all the bugs in earth and sky. I'll bet my boots on the cow dung fly. So early, and see. Then anglers all you can't go wrong. If you've plenty of cow dung flies along. You never will want for fish to fry. If your book's well stocked with the cow dung fly. Song of the bass. Over the waters, merrily dancing. Softly glides our light canoe. While the phantom mirror glancing. Shines alternate white and blue. Chorus. Never can tell when the bass is a-coming. Never can tell when he's going to bite. First thing you know your reel will be humming. Strike him quickly and hold him tight. Past the maples, red and yellow. Crimson oak and purple ash. Gosh, you've hooked a monstrous fellow. Golly, don't you hear him splash? Hold him lightly, reel him slowly. If you wish your fish to save. Nothing's gained by hurry, holy. Moses, what a jump he gave. Lower your rod, now take the slack up. Thank your stars you've got him yet. Now he sticks his thorny back up. Now you've got him in the net. In the basket, wrapped in fern, hill, lion state and scaly grace. In the pan, when we return, hill, find a warmer resting place. Let him fry in crumbs and butter. Hear the appetizing fizz. No weak words that I could utter can describe how good he is. Serve him with a slice of bacon. Quickly to the banquet come. And unless I'm much mistaken, your remark will be, Yum, yum! Never can tell when the bass is a-comin'. Words, Drs. Ellis and Spencer. Music adapted. Words, 
Doctors Ellis and Spencer. Words, Doctors Ellis and Spencer. Ellis and Spencer. Allegro Piscator con Brio. Masconange Gaming. Would you slay the Masconange? In the fastness where he lurks? Leave a card poor Pranda Kanje. On the town and all its works. Leave the tramcar's jarring jangle. For the silent bark canoe. For the forest's leafy tangle. Bid the dusty streets adieu. As befits her slender tonnage. In our tiny craft we stow. Cunningly our modest dunnage. Shove her off. Away we go. Joy once more to grasp the paddle. Farewell worry, doubt, and gloom. Care, who clings behind the saddle. Finds in our canoe no room. Off we go. The lake before us. Stretches far and stretches fair. Forest scents are wafted o'er us. Forest voices fill the air. Paddling past the pebbly beaches. Where the ancient cedar grows. Toiling in the open reaches. When the stiff nor'wester blows. Winding down the silent river. Where the scarlet maples blaze. And the pallid aspens quiver. Through the warm September days. Past the oily eddies sweeping. Where the hidden boulder lies. Down the rapid gaily leaping. Where the spray about us flies. Pulling through the gravelly shallows. Floating neath the alder's shade. Where the moose at noontide wallows. And the beaver plies his trade. Shoving through the rustling sedges. Battling with the autumn gale. Lifting over rocky ledges. Sweating on the portage trail. On we go, with steadfast faces. Till at last with gladdened eyes. We behold the secret places. Where the masconange lies. Shall we find him in the rushes? Where the water lilies grow. Where the roaring torrent gushes. In the foam-flecked pool below. Fierce and cunning, bold and cruel. Is the masconange grim. Who shall dare him to a duel? Who shall fight and conquer him? Proudly with his spoil returning. We with shouts the victor greet. By the campfire brightly burning. He shall have the warmest seat. Is he hungry? Pile the platter. Thirsty? Join the gay carouse. Weary with his toil? What matter? Heap his bed with balsam boughs. Fill his pipe with rare Virginian. Cheer him till the echoes ring. Monarch of his new dominion. Masconanjwa Gaming. 1904. Magagwadavik and Digigwash. Are not Abana and Farpa rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Let each man praise the river. That's dearest to his heart. The Rhine, the Guathalkivir, the Danube, or the Dart. Let others sing the Tavi. The Tweed, the Wai, the Lee. Give me the Magagwadavik. The Digigwash for me. Some men choose lakes for fishing. Sisib or Kuchiching. Namabinagashing. Kananjwagaming. I'll take my affidavi. That what they say is bosh. Give me the Magagwadavik. Give me the Digigwash. Beneath the shady willow. Cast cunningly your flies. His wake a widening billow. Behold the monster rise. No dreadnought in the navy. Could make so big a splosh. You'd hear at Magagwadavik. The trout of Digigwash. Behind the purple spruces. The golden sunset dies. As each his pipe produces. And puts away his flies. The basket's full. 
the slavey. Tomorrow morn shall wash. The spoils of Magagwadavik. The loot of Dijigwash. And when upon the table. They come to lie in state. Hardly shall we be able. A decent grace to wait. They need no sauce nor gravy. For none can beat, by gosh, the trout of Magagwadavik. But those of Dijigwash, O restless bay of Fundy, O mist and fog and rain, Hope whispers I may one day behold ye yet again. How gladly would I brave ye, nor ask a Macintosh to see the Magagwadavik, to fish the Dijigwash. Calero's fair daughters have fled their ancient grots. The voice of many waters turns shrieking into what's. But spare, oh, spare, I crave ye, amid the general squash, the falls of Magadwadavik, the rips of Dijigwash, 1910, Rona Adair. How dull these links to me, Rona's not there, she whom I long to see, Rona Adair, who has a swing so true, who's such a follow-through, who, who can putt like you, Rona Adair? Who drives her ball so far, far through the air, swift as a shooting star? Rona Adair, who hits her ball so clean, landing whatever's between, dead on the putting green? Rona Adair, whose strokes of all who strike, with hers compare? Who has a waggle like? Rona Adair, of all the girls I've seen, playing across the green. You, Rona, are the queen. Rona Adair, the Duffer's Elegy. Oh, put me on your waiting list. I'll be a golfer if I may, and learn the joys too long I've missed. Before I get too old to play, they gave him on the list a place, and year by year they let him wait. For golfers are a long-lived race, and very seldom emigrate. When, after many weary years, he reached the top his sponsor said, The friend, excuse these natural tears, whom I proposed has long been dead, and when at last in Karen's wary, it was the sponsor's turn to stand. His friend came down to meet the fairy, a phantom niblick in his hand. Welcome to Hades, thus the shade, in hollow-sounding accents spoke, then spied a puffball and essayed, to loft it, but he muffed his stroke. Permit me, pray, to be your guide. Until you've learned your way about. Our golf course is our greatest pride. Old Colonel Bogey laid it out. Some people say Avernus stinks. And Acheron smells like a sewer. But Fernhill golfers like our lynx. They find the air so fresh and pure. Cositis, Styx and Phlegathon. As hazards serve extremely well. In this particular alone. The Lambton lynx are just like hell. The Asphodel wants cutting sadly. The lies are wretched, more's the pity. But everything is managed badly. By that infernal green committee. Come, lay aside your shroud and pall. And play a friendly round with me. A dead sea apple was the ball. A pinch of churchyard dust, the tea. He took the club of cypress wood. And smote what seemed a mighty blow. But though the aim was true and good. The ball remained in statu quo. Alack and well a day. He cried. A duffer must I ever be. A duffer I have lived and died. A duffer through eternity. 1905. When Potter played.
when Potter played in front of me. The other day upon the links. The mist rolled landward from the sea. The sleepy caddy yawns and blinks. We watched him waggle at the tee. And curl his body into kinks. When Potter played in front of me. The other day upon the links. We watched him make the divots flee. And dribble o'er the bunker's brinks. The dewdrops sparkled on the lea. The sun shone through the fog bank's chinks. My partner, hopeful, said to me, He'll lose, and let us through methinks. When Potter played in front of me, the other day upon the links, the noonday sun looks down in glee, while Potter in the bunker swinks. He plies the niblick merrily, while Caddy unto Caddy winks. The crow on yonder tall fir tree looks down and caws at such high jinks. When Potter played in front of me, the other day upon the links, the shadows fall on land and sea. The sun to rest in splendor sinks. And Potter crouched on hand and knee. Thinks out each putt, and thinks and thinks. We all got home too late for tea. My mind with grief and horror shrinks. From memory of the day when we played after Potter on the links. 1910. Colonial preference. McGregor, always spick and span, was quite the military man. He never walked about the town, arrayed in sober cap and gown, but blazed in scarlet, gold, and steel, and clanked a saber at his heel. He took no pride in his degree, in FCS and FIC, but wrote with joy akin to tears. C.D., Canadian engineers. McGregor had been often sent, his country's arms to represent, to Chatham, Woolwich, Aldershot, or anywhere. It mattered not. He always followed, never weary. Quo fas eti gloria duxier. At length, because they thought him yearning. To represent his country's learning. Toronto University. Knowing how ready he would be. Alike in bellow and in. Pace. Dispatched him to the ICAC. He packed his trappings academical. And sailed to join the Congress Chemical. Which met that year in London Reiki to study. La Chimie Appliqui, watching the vessels fall and rise. Twas thus he did soliloquize. I may not wear my sword and spurs, but one glad thought my bosom stirs. Tis this that I shall surely be, presented to his majesty. It may be when he sees my face, he will reward me with a place, with my deserts commensurate. The secretary say of state. For war, or give me chief command. Of all his troops on sea and land. Arrived in town, his journey done. He took a cab to Kensington. Sir William Ramsay, honest man. With kindly words to greet him ran. Put on, he cried, your cleanest shirt. And free your hands and face from dirt. Tomorrow you shall go with me. To meet his gracious majesty. When they alighted from the train. They met the Lord High Chamberlain, who scanned each name with anxious care, lest some who ought not should be there. Here's Stinkmout from Budapest, and Sneeztoff, and all the rest. Ezra P. Binks from Idaho. But here's a name I do not know. D.R. McGregor from Toronto. That's something that I've not got onto. Sir William cried. The college where? My friend McGregor holds a chair. Is in Toronto, Canada. Ah, said the Chamberlain. Aha, 
I've heard of Canada, of course. But that's another colored horse. Your friend, to say it gives me pain. We'll have to toddle back again. The king, the invitation states. Receives the foreign delegates. Remove this person from the list. He's nothing but a colonist. A prophet, says the holy book. Must not at home for honor look. The greater here includes the lesser. For profit, therefore read. Professor. 1912. The Lyric League. We be seventy lyric poets. All in the fatherland. Our verse is delightful, although it's not easy to understand. We're the flower and crown of the nation. The crown and flower of the earth. But we find our remuneration inadequate to our worth. We sing of Sensucht and Trauer, die Liebe, das Hers and die Welt. But lighter, we haven't the power to sing from the public. Das Geld. The plumbers have their union. Fast join the joiners keep and sweep hold dark communion with sooty brother sweep. The motormen and switchmen, the very firemen band, Alone against the rich men. The poet's helpless stand. A fig for the Philistine slander. Let's cut from all precedent loose. What's sauce for the bus-driving gander? Is sauce for the quill-driving goose. We'll found, because empty our purse is. A lyrish dactivarine. And we won't write any more verses. Under fifty pfennigal line. Psychology. Dr. Jaeger has propounded the theory that the soul is an emanation emitted by animals, and is the cause of the odor characteristic of each species. C.F. in Lives of the Saints. The Odor of Sanctity. Also Supra, page 17. What's the soul? Throughout the ages. Mystery never yet unveiled. Prophets, poets, saints and sages. All have tried and all have failed. But at last we've got an answer. No vague dream or fancy vaguer. From a scientific man, sir. Her professor Dr. Jaeger. Printed in his lucid pages. This is what he has to tell. Listen poets, listen sages. That's the soul that makes the smell. Whoso takes his meat to season. Onions chopped or garlic whole. Shall enjoy a feast of reason. Followed by a flow of soul. The Bal Poudre. The Reverend Canon de Moulin although he don't object, to dancing in a room alone, with company select, can't tolerate the ball poudre, I am not surprised at all, for when there's powder, cannons play, the mischief with a ball, wisdom and fancy from the German of A. G. Marius, from the German of A. G. Marius, A. G. Marius, with weary steps as wisdom trod, in reason's dusty way, came fancy with alluring nod, and beckoned him astray. Laughing she snatched away his books, and charmed him with her witching looks. He could not say her nay. She shook her curls with childlike grace, and all his anger fled. He looked into her sunny face, and followed where she led. And lo, his weariness was gone. Fresh vigor filled his soul. She led him up, she led him on. Till he had reached his goal. Persico's odii to my tobacconist. To my tobacconist. I hate your imported Havanas. Your perfumed cheroots I decline. His own special weakness each man has. A pipe, I confess it is mine. 
Why take from their elegant wrappers? Your gilded cork-tipped cigarettes? Fit only for militant flappers? Or reckless RMC cadets? What need for cigars to be pining? When smoking a briar or a clay? In front of the fire I'm reclining. And peacefully puffing away. The iceberg. We stood upon the deck and saw. Mid fog and mist the iceberg loom. And while we gazed in wondering awe. It vanished into mist and gloom. With various skill each tried to draw. What printed on his brain had been. The vision that he thought he saw. Or that he thought he should have seen. Some drew it flat, some drew it round. And some with many a tower and steeple. And when we shoot our work we found. As many bergs as there were people. Across each other's paths we drift. Pale shadows on a misty sea. The clouds but for a moment lift. Then naught is left but memory. If then at any distant day. Your thoughts should chance to turn to me. Draw me not as I am my prey. But as you think I ought to be. Horace odes I. I. Colonel, most worthy president. Our club's chief stay and ornament. One man who drives with dust and jar. A forty HP motor car. All other mortals counts but clods. Himself a rival of the gods. The fickle crowd another woos. Him for a threefold term to choose. A third will lie awake all night. If Manitoba weep be light. Not Rockefeller's treasure chest. Could tempt the farmer to invest. The savings of his life of toil. In shares of rubber or of oil. The liner skipper when he steers. The foghorn booming in his ears. Through thousand dangers all unseen. Sighs for the peaceful village green. Yet fog nor ice nor foundered ships. Can stop him making record trips. Some spurn not when their throats are dry. Long drinks of Irish or old rye. Nor scorn to blow through moistened lips. Great clouds of smoke between the sips. Others in such things find no charms. And when the bugle calls to arms. Would banish from the tented green. Bugbear of matrons, the canteen. The hunter leaves his tender spouse. For a rude bed of hemlock boughs. Content to bag a head or two. A bearded moose or caribou. But give me rather, if you please. A scorecard full of fours and threes. The bunker cleared, the putt gone done. And, of all joys the flower and crown. The well-hit tee-shot's graceful flight. When everything has gone just right. Alas. Fate holds for me in store. No chances of a bogey score. I must send until I am sick. Cards that defy arithmetic. Nay, haply, the Etobico. May add to every hole a stroke. Yet, Colonel, if your grace awards. Some place among the minor bards. Who sing the game to me, ah, then. I am the happiest of men. If me from this no fate debars. Then my swelled head shall strike the stars. When you and I were young. When you and I were babes, Adam. In good Prince Albert's time. The word went forth that war should cease. Commerce should link all lands and peace. Should dwell in every clime. When you and I were boys, Adam. In Queen Victoria's days. Those guns that now so silent stand. Where meet the rulers of our land. With olive decked in bays. Roared from the Russian ramparts grim. Their muzzles all ablaze. While old Tottleben, with his back. 
against the wall, foiled each attack. In Queen Victoria's days. When you and I were young, Adam. In good Victoria's time. We stood together side by side. When Newbin and Mackenzie died. And Tempest, ere their prime. But say not, they have left no peer. That were unwelcome praise. To those three friends of ours long dead. Whose blood for fatherland was shed. In good Victoria's days. In royal Edward's time, Adam. Fresh prophecies were rife. They told us nickel-pointed shot. And flat trajectories and what not. Would rid the world of strife. But now that we are old, Adam. We see with startled eyes. Quick-firing guns won't stop the Jap. Nor Serb nor Bulgar cares a rap. Who wins the Nobel Prize? When you and I were young, Adam, there were no telephones. There was no ultramicroscope. And no x-rays for those who grope. And pry among the bones. But though with diagnostic aids, they were but ill-supplied. There were few who shrewdly guessed. Old what's-his-name among the rest. At what went on inside. When you and I were young, Adam, it was damnation stark. To doubt that all that breathed the air. Came, male and female, pair by pair. Straight out of Noah's Ark. Mutanter. Adam Tempora. Mutamer Nos. And now we're not a bit afraid. To tell just how the world was made. In detail and in gross. In pre-Archean periods. Of elemental stress. The C and H and O and N. Collide, rebound, combine, and then. React with H2S. Colloidal specks from this ensued, which grew and grew and grew, with lively motion all endued, till they attained a magnitude of zero zero one mu, then somewhere over zero one, and under zero five, amoeboid feelers out they sent, and took some liquid nourishment, and lo, they were alive, in pre-Archean periods, let fancy have her fling, but Adam, will your faith allow? Such goings-on can happen now. When George V is king? Well, times may change, and we may change. But find him when I can. I'll drink a health to one who stood. For all that's honest, kind, and good. So here's to you, old man. 1912. As a watch in the night. The soldier called from rest or play. To take his post as sentinel. To guard until the break of day. Some sore-beleaguered citadel springs to his arms with beating heart to take some more-worn veteran's place, proud to perform a soldier's part, dreading what yet he dares to face. His comrade's footsteps on his ears ring fainter and fainter. Silence falls about him. Moments seem like years, and loneliness his soul appalls. But when the signal rockets flare, he strains his eyes the void to scan. When sounds of battle fill the air, in face of death he plays the man. He stays where duty bids him stay, the boldest when he fears the most. And rounds come whensoever they may. Find him alert and at his post. Unnumbered now the moments fly. By him whose thoughts are set upon each moment's task. The eastern sky brightens with dawn. The night is gone. And hark, at last he grows aware Of footsteps his release that tell Clear rings his challenge Who goes there? 
Relief. Advance. Relief. All's well. 1913. To R. R. W. From Scotland's mists across the sea you bore. The sacred fire, kindled by him whose name, has made the century famous with his fame, and bid our lamp burn brighter than before. Upon our tree, a branch from Scotland's shore, you grafted, and behold our tree became, wanton in leafage, with blossoms all aflame, deep-rooted, and with boughs to heaven that soar. We see the better issue from the strife, and hope the best, in loathsome crawling things. We feel the fluttering of jeweled wings, in nature's score, with seeming discords rife. We seek to read, with you, the note that brings, to harmony the jarring chords of life. Richard Clay and Sons, Limited, Brunswick Street, Stamford Street, S.E. and Bungay, Suffolk, 1913-1914.